Hello and welcome back to the fourth episode of the Apex Delta Coaching Podcast. Today I want to discuss programming. Specifically, we're going to talk around the different principles and methods we can use to program uh, progression and then how we can progress a program, um, both in the kind of the short term and then thinking about like the long term as well. So I'm going to start off with a little bit of a background into um, what progression is, how it works and why um, why we can apply progression within our programs to uh, work towards our goals. So starting off thinking about our, our bodies in a kind of a global sense and that they will always try to stay in something called homeostasis. So this just essentially means balance. We'll look at our bodies will try to stay in balance and try to stay in a kind of an even and an equilibrium state so they're not either going to be trying to improve or necessarily like decrease in any sort of physical qualities it just wants to stay as it is this is the most efficient um, way for your body to be and it's the the state it wants to stay in because this allows um, effective use of the different energy stores and different um, systems within our body to increase and improve what we have to do is we have to add stress because this stress causes a shift in that balance so it shifts up or down in that balance and then the body then tries to get us back to a a middle point to that balance point again if the stress was too um was not big enough then the body will come back to its balance point in that middle and nothing really changes if the stress was big enough so if it was a great enough level of stress then the body will cause adaptations to take place, to cause changes to take place, to allow for greater stress to be tolerated in the future, and then to stop those bigger shifts in the, the homeostatics of that balance, essentially. What we can do through training is that we can apply stress to our bodies. This then results in our bodies responding to that stress by adapting, so changing to allow a greater capacity for training stress in the future. So essentially, by training, we can add an graded exposure to this stress and over time we can start to then increase the body's ability to handle and deal and adapt to that stress so it can handle more and more and greater levels in the future this process is called supercompensation, and it's really the way or the reason that we can make such large physical improvements as humans like we have a hugely adaptable body a hugely adaptable system that can really um, make some incredible changes uh, physiologically biomechanically and um, yeah generally that into from the training we can do into then our goals this um, process of supercompensation is essentially where our bodies are able to adapt based on stresses so based on something we add so a stimulus that we add our body then adapts to be able to handle the greater level of that the next time and so that's a super compensation it's overcompensated for that stress so that we've essentially bulletproofed ourselves if you like for future stresses of that kind so it's um that's how we improve over time by adding those little bits that are currently beyond where we're at at the moment so that over time we super compensate and become better and better and better Something that's important to understand within the context of programming progression and what we're going to talk about a bit through the rest of this podcast episode is the idea of principles versus methods or principles versus systems. Um, So principles are the underlying um, rules, if you like, the heuristics that lay the foundation for what will and what won't work. 
So these are things that stay consistent across contexts. So regardless of why we're what we're applying it to, these these underlying principles stay the same. They always apply and they're always applicable. Methods or systems, on the other hand, are specific protocols or train like or, or kind of trains of thought or ideas, opinions from certain individuals, from organisations, or just kind of more widely than that, that are built on top of those principles. So there are certain um, systems like CrossFit, for example, is a system that's built on top of principles um, and based on principles. So the ideas that are presented forward in the CrossFit model, the CrossFit method, um, are based on principles that underlie that. Principles that then can be applied to lots of other different contexts outside of CrossFit or the specific um method or the system for example but those principles stay true regardless of what they're applied to so applying principles of progression and adaptation to our body through training methods and systems is how we are going to adapt and then make those gains so we're going to use those underlying principles the things that stay true no matter what the system is that we're using to get there um, and that's what we're going to be really kind of basing our foundations on in terms of trying to then progress and improve and reach our, our goals ultimately. So the main principle in this context with a programming progression is progressive overload. This really is the one and kind of the only real um, principle that exists in this realm. And it's kind of the uh, the law that governs all of what we try to do in terms of training and progression. This kind of idea of progressive overload and then that super compensation, which is kind of the underlying mechanism of that, these are really the things that allow us to improve. They're the only real, it's the only real principle that kind of underlies why we can get better. And the principle of progressive overload essentially comes down to the idea that we progressively add greater training stresses over time and that elicits the positive, positive adaptations we're aiming for through that process of supercompensation. So that's a little bit wordy, a little bit com complicated necessarily, but all it means is that we over time add more stress and that causes then us to make gains and improvements based on um, the fact that our body will supercompensate, so it will overcompensate for the stresses we add, and that means that then we're adding a little bit each time, and over time, obviously, that builds up to greater levels of improvement and um, larger amounts of progression. So this process is is how we get gains in strength, hypertrophy, endurance, any real training modality or goal you could think of. Is it comes down to this idea of um, progressive overload, and that's how we can improve over time. Essentially, we have a level of like graded exposure to stresses, to training. And with time, that is then responsible for increasing our ability to handle that specific stress. And over time, we then make gains in that specific area. So for example, running. If I do more running over time, I'm gonna be able to run further, be able to run faster because of that idea of progressive overload. I've progressively added the stress of running in the training sense. And then over time that builds up and builds up and builds up and my body adapts positively towards that. And then I can then improve and, and work towards whatever goals or, or just generally make positive gains or adaptations to that. When we talk about uh, progressive overload, then we have to consider the, the there are several variables that underpin this and that we can manipulate of these variables um, in order to cause and bring about progressive overload and really drive those adaptations that we're looking for. These main principles are um, manipulating volumes, intensities 
and then frequency or workload management. So that's kind of an interchangeable term there on the back end. But yeah, those three ones are volume, intensity, and frequency are the three big things we can really practically apply and manipulate in order to increase the level of progressive overload that we can bring into our training and so subsequently then the amount of gains the amount of improvements we can actually make if we start off talking about uh, volume then at the start so volume is or can be defined either in a couple of ways so it can be defined as something called volume load which is a simple calculation that basically takes into account reps times the number of sets you do times the total load that you use so if we take that for a really simple example so if i did 10 reps and i did three sets that's 30 reps in total and then i did say 10 kilos so i did 10 reps for three sets so 30 times 10 is 300 so the volume load for that would be 300 kilos this allows us a really nice way to track um volume in total overall because it's a very simple calculation and we can see then how we can progress week to week based on any number of those variables so increasing reps sets or the load will ultimately increase that volume load overall we can then look at it just in terms of like total reps so for example like week one you might do 30 total reps then week two you might do 35 total reps so on and so on and you're adding reps in total and that could be then how you track that those total reps equally similar idea you could track total sets so week one you might do three sets of five week two you might do four sets of five five sets of five six sets and so on and so on so you're counting those total sets that you're doing this should ultimately be the first step that we come to when we're looking to um, increase overload within our training so the volume should be the first the first real thing that we try to focus in on um, in terms of trying to really uh, drive adaptations and make improvements uh, the reasons for this we'll kind of go into a little bit more in detail in, in a minute but the idea is basically that we're trying to widen the base or widen our capacity for more work and then subsequently greater intensities in the future so this is kind of like that base building if you like so we're making the the flooring in our imaginary house wider so we're making adding more to that which over time is going to allow us to build up a greater um, overall ability based on the fact that we have a wider capacity um, to start with so this is really the idea of just doing more work for the same level of intensity over time. So we're not looking to necessarily increase intensity too much, but we are really trying to drive um, volume adaptation. So we're really trying to build that capacity and um, do more work essentially over time. Um, this can come down to doing more work or accumulating more work within a couple of different things. So as we talked about, you can either have reps or sets, so we can just increase the amount of actual um, repetitions we're doing or the amount of then sets we're doing those are two really easy ways to increase our volume we can then potentially look into things like time under tension so for the same weight we could increase the time under tension so it might be a case of we go from doing two second eccentric so two second of a lowering phase in a squat for example and then the next week for the same weight the same reps we might do a three second eccentric so we've increased the total time under tension for the same volume same um, intensity but overall that constitutes a greater volume because we're doing more time essentially um, the last way we could do that is potentially by just doing more work per muscle group. So, for example, if on week one we might have done uh, five total sets of exercises for our 
shoulders, for example, we then next week might do six total sets of work for our shoulders. And that might just be spread across obviously different movements, but in total for that body part or that muscle group, we've um, increased the number of working sets. Moving then into intensity and what that is, how that relates to um, increasing progressive overload. So intensity is, is, is a bit of one that sometimes is mis mistaken. It's not or it shouldn't necessarily be a subjective measure. So things like based like on how sore you are or how tired a workout makes you um, afterwards. So that's not a good representation necessarily of what intensity is and how it can then be really objectively managed towards um, increasing our progressive overload within a training program. So we want to kind of stick with those more objective measures, things that we can very easily and quantifiably measure. Um, feeling isn't one of those. Soreness isn't really one of those things that we can very objectively measure. We want to be sticking more with ideas of uh, intensity either of a load or intensity of an effort. So talking about that intensity of load, this is things, our classical kind of percentages of a rep max. So that just means that we're doing a certain percentage. So we're doing a sub-maximal load essentially at a very specific percentage based on something like a one rep max, a five rep max, a 10 rep max, something like that. So the most amount of weight that we could possibly lift for whatever amount of reps, be that one, three, five, ten, 10 or whatever, but we're lifting at a percentage of that. So we can very easily then quantify the actual intensity we've done because we can say, for example, I did um, a set of five squats at 75% of, of my one rep max. And that's very easy then to track that and increase that obviously over time or um, see how we um, progress that um, with, with sort of time and with extra training sessions. Then that intensity of effort. So this is something like um, RPE or RIR, RIR. So these are um, kind of more quantifiable ways of measuring um, effort past just how tired it made you. So RPE is uh, rate of perceived exertion. So it's generally scored out of something like 10 being a high value. So you'd say out of 10, that set was at a six RPE, which means it was at six out of 10 intensity. Um, again, or, or this is a slightly more of subjective measure. Um, so there are always going to be kind of little bits of variation, but it's a nice way potentially for um, more intermediate um, athletes to be able to really start tracking um, their overall intensities without worrying too much about specific weights on the bar. Um, but this can also be a really nice way to just kind of get someone in the general ballpark of where they need to be in terms of intensity. So if I say to a client that I want them doing this set at a an RPE 7 out of 10, that they kind of know roughly where that means or what kind of like ballpark that should be in within how hard that should be. So if it's a 7, it's not going to be a max effort, but equally it's not going to be like a 4, for example. So it's not going to be really easy. Um, what then is RIR? So that's reps in reserves. So this is kind of like an idea of having like reps left in the tank. So energy left in the tank. So you might do a set of five, for example, an RIR three. And that probably means what we want to do is we want to be doing a set of five, but it's going to be relatively easy because with that RIR um, three means that we have three reps left in the tank. So it's a set that we probably could have done uh, eight reps with, but we've only done five. So we can see then that's a really nice way to gauge and um, uh, really narrow down the intensity window that we want to be within without necessarily having to be really 
objective in quantifying a specific load because on any day on any given training day it might not be the case that we can maintain a certain specific weight we might have to kind of take that more into the idea of like we want to be in this general intensity to get this that kind of adaptation and whatever weight that, that that happens to be is fine but we're going to work within this idea of like an rpe7 for example or we're going to work with this idea of having um two reps in the tank so this idea of intensity um, shares a bit of an inverse relationship with volume, and this is a general. Um, this is a ge in a general sense. This might not necessarily always be true, but generally it means that as volume increases or decreases, intensity will do the opposite. So it will either decrease or increase based on what the volume's doing. So increased volume means decreased intensity, and vice versa. What essentially we're trying to do when we are working with um, intensity, so um, we're looking then to raise that ceiling so that you can push harder and do more for a sub-max level. So essentially by taking our 100% and improving that 100%, what that means is that everything below that is then at a slightly easier level compared to where it was before. So we can raise our absolute ceiling in order to be able to push harder in the future. Obviously our volume, was we're widening that base Whereas this now is we're really adding to the top of that ceiling or adding to that roof, essentially. The last one we're going to talk about then is frequency or, or something called workload management. Um, so this is kind of how those two things, that volume intensity fit together. So this is the overall layout of a training week or cycle, taking into account our volumes and intensities up to that point. So this is something that we can look at either yeah, from a weekly standpoint. So how we're going to structure our training across a an, an actual week or then we could look out a bit further than that and then how that then accounts for how our volumes and intensities change and um, relative to each other over the course of an entire training program an entire training cycle manipulation of frequency is how we can improve that that stress to recovery recovery relationship if you like so it's kind of we're adapting things and we're changing those different variables to or in order to best accommodate for the stress that we're applying and then allow enough time and enough sort of energy reserves if you like to recover from that so what this means is that we need to be allowing sufficient recovery time between different um, types of stresses or sessions to really facilitate continued progress and gains so for example if we're doing lots and lots of heavy um, lifting sessions back to back to back that could be uh, an example of where we're not really manipulating frequency very well. And all that's going to happen in that sense is that potentially we're just going to overtrain and we're going to get into a state whereby we can't effectively recover from the work we're doing. And so our, our improvements, our gains are really going to be limited in that sense. So what we really need to be doing is allowing enough time between um, doses of intensity, doses of higher volume, um, and we need to allow enough time between those to, to actually recover. This is um, quite a hard one to kind of really give uh, sort of broad general um, kind of suggestions on, um, as it's really going to be very specific to an individual. And the amount of capacity and the amount of um, work and intensity and volume, they can actually handle themselves personally. So this is kind of a case of like when I'm working with people it's something that takes time to work that out it's not going to be a case of in the first couple of weeks in the first sort of month the first kind of training cycle we might not work that out like correctly and it's kind of us narrowing that down over time so it's really something that is is very individually dependent and um 
takes time to work out and takes time to kind of figure out what you can recover from and how you will adapt to certain stresses. So some ideas of how we can kind of um, approach that frequency, if you like. So we can take models like a high-low model, for example, or it's called a polarized model sometimes. So this general idea is that for every hard session we do, that's kind of followed up or, or there are it alternates between the higher and the lower in terms of intensity and volume. So if we go and do a really hard, um, heavy uh, leg session on a Monday, for example, we then might do an easier session on the Tuesday before then back into a harder session on that Wednesday. And what this allows is it allows us to really target both ends of the spectrum first off in terms of we're not just getting the high intensity stuff but we're also getting the really beneficial lower intensity maybe more voluminous work as well but it also allows enough time between those harder higher intensity sessions for recovery equally it allows enough time potentially between those lower maybe more volume heavy sessions um, so that we're not overtraining in that respect this is kind of then built within the general idea of periodization, which is just a really kind of long and fancy term for planning of training, um, generally in the sense of uh, planning out over an entire season or an entire year or longer periods of time. Periodization isn't necessarily as concerned with like the daily and weekly stuff. It's more the kind of the monthly or the long-term planning. So this could example be like an on and off season. Um, and the differences between those in terms of the volumes and intensities we're training in between the on and then the off season and how then frequency plays into that in terms of the volumes and intensities that are really important to be training in those two different kind of time windows. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about the practical applications and what actual training methods can we use um, in order to increase our progressive overload. So we've talked a bit in the rest of this podcast or the earlier bits here about the kind of more general, um, bigger terms like the volume, intensity, frequency that we're looking for. And then how now we're going to talk about how we actually manipulate those practically in order to um, build out an entire training program and then program in progression and progressive overload. So I think it's always a good idea to start with some kind of um, volume accumulation type phase in training so regardless of what our goals are this is probably where we're going to want to start um even if that's if that's a case of we're coming into a new program as a kind of relative beginner if we're just starting a new program or a new training block or even if we're a little bit more advanced this is always something that's probably a good idea when we're starting out in a training cycle or starting out a program it's always a good idea to have some variation of a volume accumulation phase So what this allows is this allows us to really start to build out that capacity we talked about. And this is going to be specific to the context of um, what our goals are. So capacity for a powerlifter is very different to capacity for someone who runs marathons, for example. That's a little bit obvious in that context because obviously they're very two very different um, sporting context or goals. But this idea of starting with a volume accumulation phase is still applicable to both of those. Obviously, just what's within that um, volume accumulation is going to look be is going to look different. So, what the general ideas of this are is it's kind of like a work capacity, um, a base building um, phase, or something otherwise sometimes called a like hypertrophy block. For example, we might start with kind of more of that hypertrophy volume building um, phase, um, or sometimes even called like tissue conditioning. So, it's kind of a short potentially to longer phase whereby we are building up on adding more volume 
of relatively similar intensity. So we're not really looking here to drive intensity too high. We're starting off with that idea of just building out volume, building out work capacity, our ability to handle just more volume now so that in the future we can then start to do those volumes at higher intensities and um, really kind of then focus on different, maybe like strength, maybe sort of power speed type goals, um, whereby at the start, we're really looking to just build a capacity to handle more stuff, more stress. What this kind of generally will look like is um, as a, like in a practical example. So we could have something like, we might have a, a block where we're doing two to four sets of somewhere like eight to 15 reps in a resistance training type um protocol um, what this does is it's we start nice and easy and then we increase by small increments each week each session in terms of just adding little bits of volume overall so adding reps or even potentially adding sets to that um, we could then potentially do this for something like four to six weeks or even longer potentially um, before having some kind of maybe like deload or, or, or reset and then we start again with lighter weights and we um, increase back up through that volume so over time, what we're looking to do here is just add more and more volume to relatively the same intensity. So we're not looking to necessarily drive too much added weight or added um, speed if we're running, for example. But what we do here is we just start at a lower volume and we add volume over time. From this point, then start to go into something more looking like uh, some kind of like maybe attempts intensification or some kind of progression from this. So now we're looking to maybe add a little bit more intensity alongside this um, increased volume was um, increased work capacity that we've just been working on. So thing people from sort of like a beginner, even all the way up to kind of intermediate and potentially even further can really benefit from a really kind of linear progression type model. So what this generally follows is that the pattern um, will be that we decrease volume and intensity increases across a training cycle. So one goes down whilst the other goes up. And in this case, we've built our volume already in that um, accumulation phase. And now we're into a more of a phase where we're going from um, high volumes to lower volumes and the intensity then increases gradually across that. So this might look something like in a practical sense, if we have like four phases, so this might be um, four four week blocks, we might go from something like doing uh, one to three or one to three sets of eight, for example, in that first set, in that first block, and we increase the weight steadily as we go through those eights. We then do in our next phase, we might do three sets of six. So it's less reps. So likely our weights are going to be heavier. And again, over those six or those four weeks, we might increase that weight very slightly across those six reps. We then do the same, but for three sets of four, again, steadily increasing weight across those four weeks. And then we go down to a three by three. So three sets of three reps again at a slightly heavier weight. So we can see there from phase one where we start off with eight reps and we work our way down to three reps so the volume has dropped over that training cycle, if you like, but the intensities that we can push, the weights that we can use will have increased because we're doing less reps. So after we've then gone through both of those phases, we potentially would then start again. We might just go back to those volume accumulation bits and we might work on that again. And we might kind of then 
flip-flop back and forward between accumulation and then intensification. So we're working on building more work capacity. We're then looking on using that work capacity to then drive higher intensities. And then we go back and build more work capacity and then flip again to intensity and so on and so forth. This is kind of how we'd approach it if the goals someone had were quite general, potentially, or if they're more of kind of like just a normal person training for health and um, longevity. On the other side of that, if someone's got a specific competition or they're an athlete or they have a specific um, date or, or game or event that they're playing, they're training for, we might have a some kind of peaking phase whereby we're really kind of dropping down the volume, working at really high intensities, similar to what we'd exhibit or what we'd be um, required to do within whatever context they're performing in. So for example, if they are trying to run a competitive 10K, we might build into a point where they're running at pretty much race speeds and they're doing lots and lots of higher intensity work because that's what we're trying to do. They're trying to really drive lots of performance-based adaptations that then leads into that final um, uh, that event, essentially. Similar idea if we're like a power lifter or if we're trying to get really strong for a certain event. When we go into this kind of like peaking phase, we're probably going to drop a lot of the um, excess volume and we're really just going to be focusing on lots of higher intensity work and lots of um, reps of high strength movements that are probably going to be very specific to our sport. So powerlift, for example, they're probably really only going to be doing heavy deadlift, heavy bench press and heavy squats at that point um, in terms of peaking into their competition. And after that competition, they probably then go back into some kind of like more general um, accumulation phase again, or volume accumulation base building phase. So then I wanted to just move on before we kind of close out this podcast, moving into some uh, really easy, short, practical examples of how we can increase um, progressive overload. So this is about uh, seven or maybe eight um, points that I wanted to go over that are just really simple ways that we can um, so kind of like top tips if you like or top ways that we can really increase progressive overload nice and simply so first off improve technique or range of motion for the same volume or intensity so simply if we can improve how we do the lift so if our technique gets better that's a way of doing progressive overload next one easier so subjectively easier reps for the same volume intensities this is the idea that if we do our certain reps they just feel easier we have a better time of doing them we have an easier time of doing the same reps at the same intensity we can then have the idea of having the same intensity but adding more volume so as we talked about in that kind of volume accumulation fades um we can then have the flip of that so the same volume and we just add more intensity so for example this might look as a case of like we might do the same reps and sets but we add weight each week we can then simply just increase the intensity so for whatever we're doing we can just make it harder in terms of adding more weight um doing more like a greater speed running harder running faster like interval type training or whatever we're going to be doing but just increasing the overall intensity we could then have the same intensity like weights and then the same volumes but we could just have less rest between our sets or we could try and do the same amount of work in less time so this is kind of called a density method so essentially we're just trying to pack more in to less time this makes it harder um, and even can have some benefits towards hypertrophy and muscle gain as we've talked about in our previous podcast episodes we can then have um, increased speed for the same intensity and volume so essentially trying to move faster trying to move weights faster this is going to increase um 
the progressive overload that we can really manage for the same level of, of uh, intensity and volumes. This kind of comes down to the idea of intent. We've got more intent. We have more intent to move something faster um, for the same amount of weight or same amount of volume. And then lastly, we could have the same load and intensity, but we just do that more frequently. So we add training days, maybe we add sessions, for example. So this could be a point of like, if we're starting to struggle to make gains um, at a more kind of intermediate to advanced level, we might add a second session in a day. So we might do a two a day, for example, or we might add another training session during the week, or we might kind of double up on or triple up even on training sessions or just add more into the training. Basically, we're just doing more frequency of the higher or the same loads and intensities throughout a week, throughout a training cycle. The last um, point or the last kind of like area of discussion I want to go over is what role um, complexity plays in progression. So this is a, a kind of a fairly contentious subject. And it's one that comes up a lot within the social media world or social media realms. Um, we tend to see like advanced athletes or we tend to see kind of like the influencer crowd within sort of health and fitness and performance, doing really wacky, crazy, complex exercises, generally some variation of kind of like un using like unstable surfaces or doing kind of lots and lots of different variations of exercises or stuff that's generally just quite complex. So advanced individuals doing really complex skills that might be relevant to a specific sport or just in general in training, they might just be very hard to, to master, hard to get skills. Um, and they're doing those and sort of saying, oh, this, these can be great for increasing on improving sort of you and everybody should try these. So I think the problem with that is that we should all really be looking to start with all the previously discussed kind of areas in terms of volume, intensity, frequency of the really simple stuff and the real basics before we ever worry about doing stuff that's more complicated or um, the harder exercises, or even like the more sports specific stuff that might just not be relevant to the context we're trying to apply it to. Our goals, our um, training ideas, what we want to achieve um, might not necessarily be best um, best suited towards some of these more complex or very sports specific um, things or, or movements or training styles that other people are doing. So what complexity kind of involves within this context is having something like more degrees of freedom. So for example, we might go and do an exercise as standard, standing versus seated, or we might then start, start trying to include some kind of like unstable surface, so like wobble boards or yoga balls or whatever is going to allow us to kind of take that, that um, platform or whatever we're, we're doing a movement on and make it harder essentially. This isn't necessarily always that relevant and sometimes it can actually be detrimental in terms of the adaptations we can get. So if we look at that like an unstable um, surfix, for example, it might all that it might be doing potentially is just decreasing the amount of force we can actually produce. And that's not necessarily going to be beneficial towards things like strength based goals. Equally, it could just be that we have more advanced or very specific skills, so those kind of sports specific things. What this could look like is, is potentially using things like Olympic lifting. Um, and derivatives of those lifts versus doing more kind of general jumps or loaded jumps. So both of these kind of modalities will increase power output. So rate of force development, uh, potentially make us stronger and a little bit faster as well. Um, but one Olympic lifting is generally seen as a kind of quite sport specific context or sport specific training um, method. And it might not always be applicable to every population, every kind of person and their training goals versus maybe simpler, um, less advanced um, 
exercises that achieve a very similar output and a similar goal. Um, this then also comes into context within other sports specific skills or variations. So for example, in the um, bench press, we might for a sport and for powerlifting, we might want a very wide grip and we might want to get a massive arch in our lower back to really reduce the range of motion we have to travel through. But if we're then looking into more general context or other other sort of contexts that aren't necessarily within the powerlifting realm, um, so for example, field sport athletes or maybe like crossfitters or people who just want to be kind of fitter, stronger, healthier, um, that might not necessarily be the best application of that movement that we can do towards those goals. There are other probably variations that we can do by increasing the range of motion, um, driving through kind of different, slightly different joint angles that aren't necessarily going to optimize the amount of weight we could lift, but are going to get us um, strength adaptations for a larger range of motion that aren't as sport specific, but still really applicable and helpful towards our kind of more general or not powerlifting based goals. So I'm going to leave that episode here. Uh, not too long necessarily, but I think it's just we've gone over all the kind of the main points I wanted to talk about in terms of uh, progressive overload, how to program progression in a kind of general principles based sense rather than prescribing to sort of specific systems or methods, which, as we talked about, um, the principles are what underlie that. So I think it's important to talk about those principles rather than sort of focusing in too much on specific methods. Because at the end of the day, all exercises and all systems are just tools and we can use those tools towards getting um, the outcomes we want rather than prescribing ourselves and kind of really marrying ourselves up to certain exercises, certain um, types of fitness, certain systems. So I hope you've learned something today. I hope this has been helpful and um, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to ask me any specific questions, please just reach out to me. Um, so DM me on Instagram or send me an email. I'll link all of those um, social links down in the show notes so that you can uh, reach out to me if you wanted to. Um, I hope you've been able to take something away from this and can apply it directly to your training. If you are confused about anything or if you want to know kind of like how you can actually apply it to you specifically, again, please just reach out and let me know and I'll be more than happy to sort of provide some support, um, help or give some advice just generally um, about that and about your, your goals specifically. So yeah, uh, stay safe and catch you on the next episode.